You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome this morning and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. We uh, I'm glad to be back in the normal rhythm of life. Anyone else glad to just be back to normalcy? It's been a very, very long time. We uh, we got back late last night. Um, from our trip to go visit my family in Chicago. Our plane was deli- uh, delayed just a couple of hours. And uh, we have three small kids, and so you know how that goes, sitting on a plane um, for over an hour waiting for the plane um, to depart, uh, waiting for them to take the ice off of the wings because um, we were in Chicago. And, uh, and as I was sitting there and I was listening to my kids, I, I, I was reminded, we do, you know, I told Casey, we don't have a boring family by, by any means. And it uh, just was great to listen to them have fun on the plane, um, watch my, hear my son just laugh consistently over and over on the plane. And all I did was just kept hearing his chuckle. But at the same time, I knew that everyone else wasn't, wasn't having a lot of fun hearing um, my rambunctious kids. And so I know most of you who have children in the room are very glad for them to go back to school. Can I get an amen? Yes? Okay, awesome. Um, And yet we love them at the same time, right? Okay, well, some of you um, agree. And uh, But what, what an encouraging time, this Christmas and New Year's season, to spend time with family, to, to put our focus on the Savior, and then what is to come ahead in this new year. And I know God wants to do a lot in your lives, and I'm privileged as, as your pastor to, to help you along in that journey, as God wants to do so much for this new year. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we are. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, once again, feel free to grab one in the lobby um, or grab one on your phone or look at at it with somebody next to you. What we do here is we're going to walk through the text uh, pretty pretty specifically. We're going to walk through and teach you the scriptures and what it says and, and what it means how it applies to our lives. We know that the scriptures are what have the greatest power, the greatest effect. So no matter what I say, you don't want to hear it unless it's coming from from the text, right? And so we're going to teach right through it. As I catch us up to speed and where we've been in the book of Luke up until this point, let me just tell you, this is what is happening up until chapter seven, and we're about to cross into chapter eight. The Messiah is here. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming one, he's here, he's on earth. And listen, as Luke is showing us in this book, the state of affairs that is occurring with Jesus being on earth is that he's being rejected. Okay, so as we see this grand scope from beginning of time to end of time, from eternity past to eternity future, where we are on the storyline right now in this book of Luke, where we put a kind of a blip on the radar on the timeline, is that Jesus the Messiah in chapter 7 of Luke is here. He's on earth, and the status of him being on earth, on, on earth is that he's being rejected. He's being rejected by many a people, but specifically the Pharisees, the religious, the the ones who hold to the law. 
And as we look at the, the last section that we were in in this Luke uh, series, if you look up just a few verses, which I'll point to you, uh, point you to today, is what we see is that the, the reason that the Pharisees had rejected Jesus is because he is not the Messiah that they wanted. We see this illustration of, of children in a marketplace. One saying, you didn't do this, and I wanted you to do this. And the other saying, you didn't do that, and I wanted you to do that. And what Jesus alludes to in showing us this illustration is that this is what the Pharisees are saying about him and saying about John the Baptist, that Jesus is not the Messiah that everyone has wanted. John is not the messenger that everyone has wanted. John's message is too strong. Jesus is eating and drinking with the tax collectors and sinners. This is not what the Pharisees wanted. The Pharisees wanted a Messiah that would promote them and that would, would tell them that they're the best and that they're good enough and that they would get all the glory. And so we're going to see in contrast to what they are doing and who they are, we're going to see today what our hearts should be like. Before we get there, let me tell you that this isn't just new in the New Testament. This is what God has been showing us really all along since the beginning, since sin entered into the world, is that his people have been kind of dissatisfied with who God is. And we can really relate to this. Listen, I don't know about you, but maybe when you first come to know Christ or you, you first enter into this world, into the church, and you've got some preconceived notions or some presuppositions about who God is, what Christianity is like, how this is supposed to work, and what God wants to do in your life, and then you come to the Bible and you read it for yourself. And you realize maybe this isn't anything like what I thought it was. And maybe Jesus isn't anything like what I thought he was. And maybe my life should be tailored to him rather than have him conform to what I want. And this is what the Pharisees are realizing, but it's a story that started all the way back in the Old Testament. You remember this? When the followers of God, the people of God, the Israelites, and they would walk in the desert, no need for God whatsoever. He's not what we need. He's not what we want, right? We were better off in Egypt. Until they came to terms with their own sinfulness and the destruction that it caused. And then they would look up to God and say, God, we need you. Where are you at? We need you in our lives. And then that would just continue, even in the story, as they move through the wilderness, even into the time of the prophets. The prophets were there to help turn people to God. And the people of God would look at the prophets and they say, we got no need for him until they came to terms with their own sinfulness and their own destruction that it caused in their lives. And they'd say, God, we need you, prophet. Where's God? We need him. Right? That's what occurred. Look at, the, here's an example of it in Ezra chapters 9 and 10. This was their words after they came to face their own destruction that they had caused in their lives. Listen, this is what they say. Oh my God, look at it. It's on the screen. I'm ashamed and I blushed I blush to lift my face to you. Have you ever felt like that? My God, for your, our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. They're realizing their own need, their own sinfulness. They need God. They say even further, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for us 
for, for Israel in spite of this. And here's what they realize after they broke this covenant with God. They say, here's what we're going to do. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God. Let's turn back to him. Let's put away all these wives, their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and, to the, and of those who tremble at the commandment of God. And let us return and do everything according to the law of God. You see, even since the beginning of time, we as a people have had no need for him until we come to terms with our own sinfulness and the destruction that it causes and the forgiveness that we have, and then we turn to him. And again, this is what the problem is, is with the Pharisees here where we are in Luke. They have no need for God. They have no need. He's not the savior that they wanted. But listen, this isn't the only time that we see this. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus looks at his people and he says, listen, you, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth, even if you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery, right? Or how about I, you've heard it said that you shouldn't hate your brother, but here's the truth. If you have, or you shouldn't murder, but if you've hated your brother, you've already committed what? Murder in your heart. What Jesus is showing his people, listen, is that you cannot be good enough. You are sinful. You, you, your life will cause destruction. You can't keep the law on your own. You do need a Savior. And yet again, once again, the people miss it. And listen, we miss it. We miss it. And so I want to tell you what Jesus is showing us and what Luke is showing us in this scripture. Ready? Is that from the beginning of time, people have saw no need for God. And as we fast forward to the Savior Messiah being here right now, The result is rejection, and the reason why rejection is happening is because the Pharisees see no need for a Savior. They see no need. And so as you ask this question, well, then how can we find a need? How do we see a need? How do I cultivate a heart for God, a love for God? Well, that's what Jesus is showing us today in our passage. What he's doing is he's contrasting the Pharisees who have no need for God, have no desire for him because they have no need for forgiveness. They don't see any of their sin and therefore they're picky about Jesus. Like, mm, he's like this. I don't really want him to be like that. While at the same time, those who see their great need, see the need for forgiveness, see the great forgiveness that they've received from God through Jesus Christ. They will be the ones who love God and live for Jesus. And so the story today is of this immoral woman. The immoral woman who comes into this picture and again is a stark contrast to what we just saw of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they're just picky. They don't want this Jesus. They want a different kind of Messiah, etc. But this woman, she's desperate in tears. She needs the Savior. She needs the Messiah because she sees how much she has been forgiven. Now listen, as we see this, this is not just about an immoral woman. This is the picture But yet what Jesus is showing us through this text, again, is here is how one will receive the Messiah. He's on earth. He's being rejected by those who have no need. And yet the ones who will receive him are the ones who see their great need for him, realize the great forgiveness that they need. And the ones who continue to follow him and love him will be the ones who continually realize how much they have been forgiven. So listen. As we look into this, we're going to pray in a minute, just read the story and talk through it. 
Jesus is showing us that the only way to obtain this deep love for Jesus, the first step, is to be aware of your great need for forgiveness. Listen, ready? If you come in here today and you say, yeah, I kind of like want to follow Jesus, but I don't really know if it's worth it right now. Listen, let me tell you, the way in which you will move to a place where you want to live for him is when you realize that you really have no, no place to be picky and choosy about the Savior. Your sins have separated you from God, and you need forgiveness. The Savior is the only one who provides that for you. That's it. But also, listen, in order to live for God, living in love with Jesus on a consistent basis. If you're asking yourself into the new year, how can I cultivate this great deep love for Jesus? I'm kind of like, you know, just apathetic about the Savior. Jesus is showing us today that you need to be aware of how great a forgiveness that you have received. When you're aware of the reality of how great the forgiveness is that you have received from, from the Savior, how much you have been forgiven, you will fall in love with the Savior. You will live for him. Your heart will change. That's how we cultivate this love for him. So this is what the Pharisees' problem was, and this is what Jesus is showing us today. The way in which the one person who receives the Savior receives him is when they realize that they need forgiveness and that they've been forgiven much. Listen, before we pray, let me also tell you that I think that this is the reason that the American culture rejects the Savior. Listen, the problem is on the American culture and also on the religious side. The American culture, listen, I have no need for a savior because I can earn this on my own, right? I can do what's right. I, I, I can make it. I can, I can accomplish it. I can be successful. My life will be great. I have no need for the savior. But when we realize our own sinfulness and the, and the need that we have for forgiveness and then how much Jesus has forgiven us, we have deep love and gratitude and thankfulness and we live our lives for him while at the same time, it's the, it's the same truth that is true for the self-righteous, those who are maybe religious and say, listen, I have no need for this savior. I'm not desperate for Jesus. I I go to church all the time, right? But I really have no need for, for, for the, the Savior to be the center of my life. Well, when the self-righteous come to, a term, come to terms with the fact that they have been forgiven much and that they are just as sinful as the immoral woman and how much Jesus has shown forgiveness through his death and resurrection, right? Then you say, man, I, I, I need the Savior. I'm desperate for him. I want to live for him. And so again, what Jesus is showing us today is the way in which we cultivate a deep love for him is to realize the gravity of the forgiveness that we have received. Let's pray and ask him to show us this today. Our story's easy. Ready? Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning. I ask you to please help us to look at this simple story, to see that what you have shown us through the course of time is that there has been a people who have no need for you. And yet, God, you show us in this story particularly that the Pharisees specifically have no need for you. And the main reason for their rejection, God, is because they don't see the forgiveness that they need and they don't see the great forgiveness that has been shown to them because it hasn't. But yet, God, I pray that we would identify with the sinful woman today, that we would see her deep love for you, We'd identify with her 
Because we too, in Christ, have been forgiven much. And when we realize that truth, when we realize that we can't make it on our own, that we haven't been good enough, that you haven't forgiven us of a little, but you've forgiven us of all, I pray that it would cultivate in us a love and a thankfulness for you, Jesus. And we desire to live all of our days for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ready? Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Let's read it, okay? Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Here we go. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What an incredible story. You ready to walk through it? Listen, we're going to have two points. It's going to be simple. Let me tell you first, before we get to the first point, listen, this is a narrative. Although this is a great chunk of verses, we're going to take this as one because it's one story and it helps us to understand it when we take it as one. It is a lot, so we could divide it up, but we're not going to. Listen, also at the same time, I want to tell you, before we look at this, there are other passages in scriptures that are in the scriptures that are very similar to this text. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, Mark 14, verses 3 through 9, John 12, 1 through 8. And yet those are all the same, but this particular one is different. And so if you see those other ones and you say, hey, that kind of looks like that. 
This is different. Those were earlier. Um, this, those were later in Jesus's life. This is earlier. One of the main reasons why this story gets confused with the other stories is because the host of the house, I think this is the main reason, is named Simon, right? But listen, there is Simon the, the, the Pharisee, right? And then there's Simon the leper in the other stories. And so let me tell you that Simon was a very common name. Just because he was the host doesn't mean that this is the same story. It's like Joe or Mike. Okay, very common names. If your name Joe or Mike, I love your name, but I'm saying it's just common, right? This is the same thing that's happening here. Simon was a very common name. Listen, there in those verses, it was showing the, in the other scriptures that, that are similar to this, it's showing the value of Jesus's death. That's the main point. Here, we're seeing how to cultivate a love for God, right? We're seeing how someone receives the Savior and doesn't reject him and receives the one who has come to save their soul. Luke, is showing us the ones who will receive him and the ones who will reject him. The ones who will reject him are the ones who have no need for forgiveness. The ones who will receive him are aware of their need for forgiveness and then also how much they have been forgiven once they have. Here we see Simon um, and then we see a sinner woman, right? We don't know her name, okay? There in the other passages, what we see is Mary of Bethany, Okay, that's who we see. Here, what we see is this is in Galilee. Uh, this is a, a story through, through Luke that Luke tells us is in Galilee um, as we follow the storyline of Luke. And this is in the northern regions. There in the other passages, we see it's in the southern regions in Judea, again, in a place called Bethany. Here, this is earlier in Jesus's life. There, it's right before the cross. Here, we see a Pharisee as the host. Uh, there, we see a leper as the host, among other differences. So, not sure why it's get confused. I think it's just because of Simon, okay? But let's take this story for what it is. We're going to see two main points, and this is going to move us to the fact that we, when we see our great need for forgiveness and how much we've been forgiven, this is what cultivates our love for God. The first thing that we see in our passage, again, just two points, is the woman's actions towards Jesus. The woman's actions towards Jesus. Verses 36 through 38. So this is a time now where we follow along with me in the text because my main goal is to just teach you what the scriptures say so you can become aware and you can become robust, right? Like you can become a ninja with the, with the scriptures, okay? Ninja turtle with the scriptures, okay? First thing that we see, look at this, ready? Verse 36, there's a Pharisee. The Pharisee is the one who asked Jesus to come over. Now listen, this is purposefully coming right out of what we seen last time. And what we saw last time was that the Pharisees have rejected Jesus because he is not the Savior that they want. We saw the parable I just told you about a few minutes ago. He's not the Savior that they want. The Pharisees have rejected. Mainly, if you cut through all of it, because they see no need for forgiveness, they've got it. They can keep the law. They're good. And if you're in this room today and you think your good is going to outweigh your bad and you'll be received by God, that's the equivalent. It's not true. Your sinfulness separates you from God, but God sent you a Savior to die for your sins so you don't have to be good enough. And this is what we're seeing here. The Pharisee, look at this, verse 36, one of the Pharisees. Now, there's not many Pharisees, Okay, there's about a couple thousand of Pharisees. So like within this region, a, a larger region, there's a couple thousand Pharisees. They all know each other and they're all on the same page, which gives us insight into this story. We know that the Pharisee, his name is what? 
Simon. How do we know? Well, verse 40 below tells us, because when Jesus answers him, he calls him Simon. So that's his name. And what we see here is a wide grace from Jesus. Wide. It's, it's wide. You've heard it said often that Jesus would eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners, right? You know those stories, but you're like, maybe sometimes you're like, did he ever go after the Pharisees? Well, he did all the time, but the Pharisees would continue to reject him. And he would also rebuke them. But Jesus, they weren't too far off that Jesus also didn't want them to be saved. But yet what's interesting is as the Pharisees would move into Jesus's world, they wouldn't come to try to receive the truth and be saved. They had no need for forgiveness. They would come to try to trick Jesus. And so what we see here in verse 36, listen, is one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And so the Pharisees asked Jesus to come in and Jesus actually goes. Even though the main reason for the Pharisee asking, we're going to see in a little bit, was not pure intention. It wasn't because, hey, Jesus, I want you to come so I can understand your truth and receive you. It's because I want to trick you. We see another instance of Jesus actually going to a Pharisee's house trying to show grace, and yet the Pharisee trying to trick him. Look at this, Luke 14, one, verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisee, they were watching him carefully. That's what they were doing of Jesus. Their goal was not to receive his words, but to trick him, because they had no need for forgiveness. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. We see another instance of Jesus going into the house of a Pharisee to show this wide grace. And yet the Pharisee not having pure intentions, but instead rejecting Jesus, trying to trick him. That was the intention. So listen, verse 36, look at this, ready? He's in the Pharisee's home. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house. Now listen, this is very typical. What would happen at this time is that Jesus would teach in the synagogues of the regions. Okay, he was a teacher. He was the preacher. That was his main goal. He was the rabbi. He did a lot of miracles, but his main task was a preacher. He taught the word of God and how it pointed to him. So what would be typical is that after his time in the synagogue, people in the congregation would invite the rabbi over, okay, to, for a meal, to talk about theological things, to understand wisdom, etc. They invite him over for a meal that afternoon and even into a banquet that evening. So by the way, side note, we're going to reinstate that, okay? Um, that'll start next week, okay? Invite the... Uh, the pastor's over for lunch, and then into a banquet that evening, okay? That's, that's what we're going to do new here. So this was typical, okay? This was typical. And at first glance, what you think is, man, the Pharisee's inviting him over. He wants to learn from Jesus. But as the story goes on, we see that's not the case at all. Once again, he is, has different intentions. His Pharisees don't need Jesus. They just have no need for him. They just want to get rid of him. And I don't know, maybe in your life right now, you feel like I got no need for him, but maybe someone in my family wants to follow him, and I'm just trying to get rid of Jesus. I'm trying to get him out of our household. Let me encourage you once again to 
Become aware of the great forgiveness that you need from him. He will become very valuable to you rather than something you want to disregard. We see this in other places. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. look at this. We see the intentions of the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him with words. This is what they're trying to do. They hated Jesus already. He was not what they wanted. He was a blasphemer. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He was against their own self-righteousness. He spent time with the lowly. He re- they rejected Jesus, and they rejected John as the Messiah, as we saw last time. And Jesus was willing to go into their house. Verse 36, and it says that as Jesus went into the house on this Sabbath day, he reclined at the table. Now, this is the picture, okay? When you see, like, what was it, like a lazy boy, Right? This was actually the picture, which is even more uncomfortable than the lazy boy, okay? What they would do is they would set up the table, and they would have, uh, like, chase lounge-type things surrounding the table. And this was for the purpose to keep your feet as far away from the table as possible, okay? The feet were dirty, especially in this time. Roads with animals and really no street cleaning service at the time, okay? And so this, the streets were dirty. I mean, like you, those of you who have children, you know what their feet look like when they run around your house without shoes on, which says a lot about your house, sorry to say. But also, I mean, imagine them running around town with no shoes on and then coming home. I mean, this is what people's feet look like. So they would keep their feet away from the table. But this was also to promote long conversation, That was the main point of some of these dinners and these banquets and these Sunday afternoons with the rabbi, etc., to promote long conversation, to hear, to discuss, to talk about social things, about religious things, about how the scriptures apply to certain things, about theological things. And this is what the Pharisee was supposedly inviting Jesus over to do, but his intentions were different. Now, this picture is a little bit wrong because most will tell you that the left arm, it was proper for the left arm to bear one up, so I don't know, this picture is not biblically accurate, okay? because there's right arms. This guy right here has got a right arm going, okay? But we see that they're supposed to be on this left arm. They're reclined at table, feet away. The rabbi's invited over, right? And the sandals are off, and they're having long discussions, religious discussions about wisdom. Now, what we see also, verse 37, check it out. And behold now, a woman of the city who was a sinner... How'd you like that to be the first identifier of who you are when the scriptures mention your name? Really no name. A woman comes over who's a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now listen, what would happen in these times is they would invite the rabbi over, they would have long discussions, They would be on this chase lounge, reclining at table, and yet the doors would be open to the house. The one who invited the rabbi over, ready? Stay with me. As the one who invited the rabbi over, this was a privilege. This was a privilege for the one to host the rabbi. It's like a celebrity in town. He's coming to our house tonight. And so what they would do is they would leave all the doors open. 
And it was kind of a, a local entertainment for the people. The people would come and kind of stand along the wall, stand in the back, and they would listen to the conversation being had between the host and the rabbi. And these people would come in and just listen. And that's what's happening here. So this woman comes in and she's listening. But what we see of this woman is that she's from this city and that she's a sinner. Now, listen. First of all, what we know about this is that she was not invited in. So she wouldn't be one who's in there because everyone knows she's in there. She probably has snuck in there. Now, sinner is used as a general term in the scriptures. We see it often, Mark chapter 2, verse 16. Here's an example. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But this also brings a level of disdain. So if you're characterized as sinner, it's not just because you're sinful. Everyone's sinful, but because also you're a common, consistent, well-known, sinful person. Everybody knows it. Family, friends, neighbors, they all know. When you walk by the, t- the marketplace, they know this is a sinful person consistently living it. When it's referred to as men, oftentimes tax collectors, oftentimes disingenuine thieves, right? But here, oftentimes when it's referred to the woman, it's a prostitute. So this woman is in the house. The rabbi's there with the Pharisee. They're reclined at table. People are listening. The woman who nobody knows is there is listening, and she's a prostitute, a professional adulteress. She's good at it. She's immoral. She's filthy. She's impure. She's perverse. She lives this sinful life, and the public knows it. Everybody knows it. Side note, this is not Mary Magdalene. I know that this is a common place in which people also misinterpret this story, but this is Mary Magdalene. So remember, this is not the story from the other locations Different point, different place, different people. This is also not Mary Magdalene. Most have tried. And I think even the Passion of the Christ, the stories of Mary Magdalene, right? But listen, we don't see any name here. Also, it's not the same as the other story. But what I think happens is that the Mary name in the other stories gets a tribute to this story. And then it's also Mary Magdalene, right? See how important it is to research the scriptures yourself. Don't just take names. Just don't take people's words for it. Also, what we see in just a few verses, Luke chapter 8, verse 2 on the screen, this is just a few verses later. This is when Mary Magdalene is introduced. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and the villages proclaiming the word of of God, bringing the good news of the kingdom, and the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So this is just a few verses after the story, which also probably promotes the confusion. But listen, if this was Mary Magdalene in our story, we would know the name right here, right now. They would introduce us to Mary Magdalene here and not a couple verses later. There's no point as to why Luke wouldn't just tell us her name here. So this is probably just, listen, some no-name sinful woman who is a prostitute around the room watching Jesus with the Pharisee reclining at table no one knows she's there. But I want you to remember something. Listen. 
The Pharisee is the worst of the sinners, not this woman. You mean, like, you say, what could be worse than a prostitute? Well, this is the worst possible sinner because there is something worse than a prostitute, and it's the most unredeemable of all. And it's the one who thinks they are not a sinner and the one who thinks that they don't need forgiveness. You see, we see this picture of the immoral woman, but she is not the greatest sinner in this picture. The Pharisee is. Because the one who knows they're a sinner see that they need a Savior. And the ones who don't have no need for him. And so what we see is that Jesus is using a redeemed sinner as a testimony. It's an evangelism technique to one who sees no need for forgiveness from the Savior. Listen, the worst of all sinners is the one who doesn't think that they need any forgiveness. They're the most hopeless. And I'll tell you that that's your first step in loving Jesus, is seeing your great need for forgiveness. You see, what's being contrasted here is the Pharisee who has no need for forgiveness. The stark contrast, that's what Luke is showing us. Jesus is here, state of affairs, rejection. Stark contrast between those who are rejecting him, no need for forgiveness, and the ones who will receive this Messiah, the ones who need forgiveness and see how much they have been forgiven. This is what is happening here. And listen, she comes in, verse 37, she brings this alabaster flask. So she's sitting at the Pharisee's house, watching Jesus recline at the table, and she brought in an alabaster flask of ointment, which, listen, this tells us a lot. It tells us that she knows Jesus is there and that she has intentions, okay? That's why she's bringing this. The word alabaster refers to a globular container of perfume, okay? How many of you got globular containers of perfume, right? Listen, this is what it looks like. And most of the time, it would have even a longer neck. And even though there's like a little hole on top, usually that would be covered by the clay as well, the alabaster. And so therefore, there would also be only one way to get this perfume. Most of you know, which would be by what? Breaking it, right? Breaking the neck. And so listen, this was no handles, long neck. You broke him off when you needed the context. Despite the name, listen, not all of them were made of alabaster. This is important because listen... The best, the most authentic from Egypt were the alabasters, but it was very common for you to have a knockoff, right? Like we carry knockoffs of everything all the time. That's the same thing that was here. You still had some, some perfume in it, but it wasn't the real alabaster. The ones that were real alabaster were always costly. The ladies would tie a cord around their neck. It was so much a part of them and acceptable in town that you could even bring it into the synagogues. The extent of this goes that the sages for the women or the husbands for the wives, they would allow 400 gold coins per year for the women to buy these perfumes, this expensive perfume and wear the neck. And even then, it's said that these women were dissatisfied. Some things never change. <laughs> Joke. Just kidding with you. I'm going to get a lot of, like, no one's going to be happy with me when I'm done. The smell, the odor of this time, the hygiene, even for men wearing this, they would do the same. This was deodorant, deodorized them. Not in putting it under their armpits, but simply in the fact that they smelled. 
But here's what I want you to see. Ready? Is that this lady had an alabaster flask. Verse 37. She had the real deal. You want to know what that means? She was a successful prostitute. When we see this, Luke is giving us hints here. She was successful at what she did. And in her line of work, you don't get successful by having a good heart. You don't get successful by having a great conscience. Not in this line of work. She was, she was a sinner. Her sin had mounted. It was over her head. Her whole life. She was guilty. She shouldn't be there. And yet she's looking for an opportunity. Verse 38, our last verse of the section, the second point and section. It's going to go fast. This is all the work, this first section. So she's standing behind him. Ready? She's standing behind him. We know she planned ahead because she brought this alabaster flask. She's standing at his feet. Sandals are off. He's reclining at table. He's talking She's not supposed to be there. She's observing. She came with intentions. She knew he was going to be there. She was looking for an opportunity to express her great love. We know that she was probably trying to anoint his head with oil. That's why she brought it. Okay? Later on, we see that, that that was the normal act, anointing one's head for thankfulness. But she wasn't aiming to anoint his feet. That was abnormal, as we're going to see a little bit later on. So she's looking for this opportunity. And then look at this, verse 38. As she's standing at his feet, emotions take over. This is sudden. And she begins weeping. She begins weeping. The tears... It says that she began, verse 38, to wet his feet. Literally in the Greek, that same word is used for rain. It was raining on his feet. That was her weeping. Instantly taken over by emotions. There with her tears and wiped them, it says in verse 38, with her hair and head from her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She's weeping, the tears she realizes in that moment, as we're going to learn later, that his feet was not, were not washed by the host, which was normal for one who respected their guest. For the Pharisee, look at this stark contrast. For the Pharisee, they don't even want to wash his feet. They're trying to trap him. And it's not because Jesus is some megalomaniac and he needs to be served and he's insecure. It's because the host shows the great love for the one who is there, the, the one who he is hosting. By washing the feet, his feet aren't even washed. She sees that. And she says, for me, what a great privilege that would be. For the Pharisee, it's a waste of time. You see the stark contrast between the one who has no need for forgiveness and how he rejects the Savior, and yet the one who has been forgiven much and how she loves the Savior. 
This is the stark contrast that we see. So she begins weeping. The tears fall. It's raining. Her feet are, or his feet are getting wet with her tears. And then as we see this great privilege, there's no water. There's only tears. And there's also no towel. So it's hair. And listen, as we look at this, I'm trying to pursue the tone of the text, which is soft and loving. While also this is meant to be by Luke, a rebuke to the Pharisees, a rebuke and, and a loving seeing of her love Jesus at the same time. And instead of, of the Pharisee doing this for Jesus, she is. There's no water. There's no towel, right? So instead, she does which is unthinkable in this time, which is she uses her hair. The ladies would bind up their hair, and they would not undo it in public. If they did, they would oftentimes be divorced. And so she is not, and even though she's not married, it's a public disgrace. So her hair, her tears, she's wiping his feet, and she's cleaning his feet, and then also it says that she's kissing his feet. Now listen, this kissing is also used in another place in Scripture, this word, and it's used in Luke chapter 15, 20, the story of the prodigal son, when it says that he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And you get this picture from this. If this seems unusual to you, it is very unusual. Tears, feet, wiping. She's embracing, kissing, probably rubbing her cheek, her lips. Her tears are falling on of it. She keeps kissing and embracing, kissing, embracing, rubbing her face and embracing the Savior's feet. She's in love and grateful for the Savior. This is the picture. This is very unusual. And let me just ask you briefly, is this the picture that you see of yourself when you're with your Savior? Is when the, all the doors are shut and you're alone with him and the word of God, you and him alone, is this the picture of your relationship with God? Are you on your knees embracing, kissing, crying, needing, embracing, kissing, hugging, is this the picture of your relationship with Christ? This is the picture of the woman who has been forgiven much. And now, the last step is that she anoints his feet with the ointment. The perfume oil usually would go for the hair, for the head, and here the feet. Even his feet are worthy to be anointed. The one who washed the feet of another was shown to be a slave. She is saying here, Luke is telling us, she is humble. She is in love with the Savior. She has great need for him. She is in great gratitude. While the Pharisee sits and has no need because he has no need for forgiveness, she is in love because she has been forgiven much. Now listen, last thing, moving to our second point, and all the hard work is done, so rest is easy. But Jesus also, you would think here, probably could have been accused. Like, you ever think about that? Like, Jesus in this instance, probably, like, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, oh, like, hold off, you know? Like, I'm gonna, people are gonna think something's going on here. Honestly. Not Jesus. This shows his life was holy. There's not even anything that anyone could bring. Like, yeah, we'll get you for calling yourself the Messiah, but when it comes to doing something immoral, no one would even, Jesus, I mean, no one would even accuse him of that. 
because his life was set apart. Is that true of your life? It's a hard one. So, first that we see is this action, the actions of this woman towards Jesus. And the second part of this is it interprets it for us. And it shows us the reason for such loyalty and love and their actions. And the base of that, what we see, the reasoning, is the woman's love for Jesus. The actions towards Jesus were founded by the woman's love for Jesus. And the woman's love for Jesus, as we're about to see, came from the forgiveness that she has received from Jesus. As we look at this, let's close this out. Ready? Verse 39. Look at this stark contrast. Can you even imagine? Now the Pharisee, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Look at this stark contrast. Can you even imagine? This woman is weeping. Her tears on her feet, on his feet. She's wiping his feet with his hair. She is absolutely desperate. She is grateful to the Savior. She is anointing his feet with oil. She is a sinner. And the Pharisee, while at the same time, sits back and says, See, I knew he wasn't the Messiah. He didn't even know who this woman is. She's a sinner. I mean, that's the stark contrast between the one who thinks that they don't need forgiveness from Jesus and the one who sees their great need and sees how much they've been forgiven. And you want to know what? I think it's true oftentimes in our churches. Isn't it crazy that one person stands next to another person and one person's hands are raised, eyes are closed, their heart cries out in such gratitude for a Savior who forgave them. And yet the other one stands next and looks around and says, I wish things were like that. I wish things were a little bit more like this. I wish I could just get out of this place and go do whatever. That song, I don't really like that one. What about those? That scripture? Yeah, it didn't meet my requirements. What it does to our hearts when we see our great need for forgiveness. This man is sitting there. Now watch this. We know that he's trying to mix Jesus up because he says, we see Luke tell us, that he said to himself, the man who invited her, verse 39, said to himself, he didn't even say it out loud. Now watch this. If this man were a prophet, see, they were trying to prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. That wasn't the real intention of why he had Jesus in his home. He was trying to show that this is truly not the Messiah or a prophet. He would have known that this woman was a sinful woman if it was truly the Messiah. And yet Jesus answers And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And ironically, the Savior who he thinks doesn't even know who this woman is also not only knows who this woman is, but he is thinking without him even saying it. He's about to show that he is the Messiah and who he forgives is the sinner. How wonderful is that? And he calls out to him, and and here's what Simon says. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says this, say it, teacher. Now, when you try to understand what kind of tone that was, let me just tell you that this man has no need for forgiveness, and he's already figured out that Jesus isn't even a prophet or the Messiah. Say it, teacher. That's the tone from a prideful man. That's the tone. And Jesus closes this out just as he always does. 
with a parable or a question. He has a way of getting to someone's heart, right? He says this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. They both couldn't pay, but both of their debts were canceled. Now, when it says it here, we understand that this picture is of us as sinners. We all have debts. Our sin is our debt. We understand that there is a punishment for sin. And it's not that anyone's debt is truly more significant than another's. Because listen, James tells us if you break the law, then you are a lawbreaker, period. Yet one is aware of their great need for forgiveness and one is not. One maybe thinks he has been forgiven of little, just kind of needs a little bit of a of a pat, you know, go ahead and pass by from Jesus instead of a great forgiveness that requires his death. Everyone needs forgiveness. And so what we see is verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Jesus understands that on our own, listen, you cannot live up to God's standards. You can't keep the law. Jesus comes to earth and cancels the debt for you by going to the cross, pays for your debt. The only way you pay for it is for eternally being separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. So Jesus comes purposefully to die on your behalf and pay for your debt. And he says, now which one? one of them will love him more. Now notice him. This can also be taken. You will love others more when you realize you will be forgiven. But the point of this passage is that you will love Jesus more when you realize the great forgiveness that you have received in his name. That's it. That's the point of this thing. So Simon answers him, look at this man. I suppose, he says, the one who has canceled the large, for the one who has canceled the large, larger debt. Like, I suppose, like, bro, come on. You know what the answer is. He's, he's prideful. He's trying to resist here. He says, I suppose, right? Like, come on, dude. For whom he canceled the larger debt. Of course, that's the answer. Duh. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Now the eyes are on the woman. And Simon's hearing Jesus interpret this. And what does he say? You see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Not that Jesus is insecure and needs it. It's the fact that that displays a lack of love from Simon. Simon's love is absent. The woman's love is abundant. That's the point of this picture. Stay with me. We're almost done. Ready? She has wet my feet with her tears abundant love, and wipe them with her hair, abundant love. Verse 45, you have given me no kiss. Not that he's insecure and needs it, but his love is absent and her love is abundant. That's the picture we're seeing. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet, abundant, while his is absent. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Absent love from the one who has no need for forgiveness, the one who rejects the Messiah. 
abundant from the one who receives him because they have great awareness of the forgiveness that they need and the forgiveness that they have been given. Therefore, I tell you, and here's the reason, ready, climax, and then we're done. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now listen, this ordering here is important. It's not that because she loved him, her sins are forgiven. It's the fact that her loving of him is the the evidence that her sins have been forgiven. What we see, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her love is the evidence that her sins have been forgiven. Her love is not the means in which she gains this forgiveness. This forgiveness is given to her, and as a result, she loves. This is the ordering of it. For she loved much. This is the proof. The forgiveness that we receive from Jesus results in a great love for Jesus. The love that you can muster up on your own for Jesus does not result in the forgiveness. He gives the opening of the eyes, the softening of the heart, the realizing of what he's done. You come to him, you receive forgiveness, and your heart is then stapled to him because you have received great forgiveness. Look at this. He interprets it. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The forgiveness comes first. The love comes last. Listen, if you have not realized the great forgiveness that you have received from the Messiah, Messiah, your love for him will be very little. And if you do not love the Messiah, then you should ask yourself, have I been forgiven by the Messiah? And if you have been forgiven by the Messiah, the way to cultivate a love for him in the new year is to continually gaze upon the great forgiveness that he's shown you by forgiving all of your sin. This is what we see. And so he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now you want to know what? That's in the perfect tense. What that means is she had already been forgiven coming into this house. She had already received forgiveness. Now she is coming into the house to show her thankfulness and gratitude. Her love is overflowing from the forgiveness that she had already received. Jesus probably met her a day ago while he was in town. And now she's coming to show her great love. That's the picture. And those who were at the table began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus, once again, Luke is telling us, he is telling us he is the Messiah. Mark 2, 7, who can forgive sins but God, is God alone? They know the answer. Jesus is the Messiah. The way to not reject him but to receive him is to see the great forgiveness you need and the great forgiveness he has given. And verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Here's how the order happens. Faith forgiveness that happened about a day ago for her and great love for him. Faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins, great love for him as a result. That's the picture. Now church, I pray with all my heart that into this new year, you would cultivate a great love for Jesus by continually gazing upon the great forgiveness that he's shown you that you would gain a great love for him on a daily basis by realizing, by becoming aware of how much he has forgiven you. And if you don't know Christ, let me encourage you that the place you start is to come to a realization that your sin has separated you from him. You don't get to be picky and choosy about what kind of savior he is. You need forgiveness for your sins, and he's the only one who offers it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. A lot of text to cover in one day, but God, what a sweet word from you. I pray that if there's anyone in this room who is like the woman who has been forgiven of much, 
that we would, hands raised, with all of our hearts, be thankful and gratitude to you who has forgiven us of so much. I pray if there's anyone in this room who identifies more with the Pharisee, that you would change their hearts and they would see the great forgiveness that they need from you. And God, I pray that this year, as we move into the new year, we would cultivate a great love for you by continually gazing upon how much you have forgiven us. Our pride gets in the way when we don't realize we're sinners and that we don't need you, and we think that that's true. Yet, God, we love you and hold on tight to you and need you when we see our forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.